1: Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about the stuff that we have in common, common hopes, common dreams, common fears, but also the stuff that doesn't have easy answers all the time. Sometimes stuff is really black and white, but I feel like most of the time we live in this gray space where stuff doesn't have easy answers, it doesn't tie up with a nice bow, and I think we want to create a space where people who disagree with one another can yeah. actually engage in a dialogue. And there's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. Uh, you can find us at any podcast platform you so choose. And the goal for us isn't just for us to be two talking heads, but right. to engage in a dialogue. What do you think? What are you wrestling with? What seems unclear or just outright wrong? And we want to we want to be the a, a, a kind of space uh, hopefully to engage with these things rather than shy away from them, right? And that's been kind of our hope and dream since the beginning.
2: It's been good. Happy Friday, man. Yeah,
1: thanks for uh, it's Friday. Thanks for making it to the end of the week with me. <laughs> how was
2: the? Uh, how was Valentine's Day last night?
1: I, I actually really love Valentine's Day. Yeah, I feel like it gets such a, a bum rap, but like uh, I I enjoy it, particularly having um, you know just brought home our second child and uh, just to be able to get out of the house and yeah. uh, Katie's mom came and, and watched our kids, which was awesome. Um, just to be able to. Spend some time just just one on one. It was it was a blast. How, cool. about, how about you?
2: Valentine's Day actually get a bad rap?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it does. Particularly okay. in the church, I think it's it's easy to kind of. It's a pretty hallmark holiday, and there's a lot of pressure. I feel like people are always talking about you yeah know, all the things that they need to do because it's Valentine's Day. And I'm you know I am of the belief like man, love your spouse, love your significant other uh, every day, every day, <laughs> <laughs> even when it's tough, not just so. Valentine's Day. But I think I don't know, man. Honestly, cards on the table, any excuse just to. Like, hanging out with my bride one-on-one there you go. This is, a, this is a
2: win for me. Cool. Yeah, Valentine's Day is always fun. And it, as your kids get older, especially your daughters, I know you don't have any of those yet. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm you... <laughs> speaking for myself. You uh, Valentine's Day, you start to include them a little more, and right. it's fun. So glad they had a good night. Glad that it's Friday. Looking yeah. forward to the weekend. Yeah, no kidding.
1: I wanted to talk about this, uh, this thing that I feel like you and I have brought this up casually a number of times in the last month is uh this idea of like the celebrity Christian yep and and not just the celebrity Christian, but also like what leads to some of our obsession with celebrity Christians whether it's like a mega famous mega pastor or it's somebody who is a celebrity first that like becomes a Christ follower and yep. like why we all kind of lose our minds when that happens and some of that I think is really helpful and healthy but but then other times I think maybe it's less so. Uh, and I'm curious what your experience is with sort of this celebrity Christian stardom.
2: Yeah, it just mirrors the celebrity obsession we have in our culture in general. Uh, and again, just to be frank and honest, I'm a like I love going places where they have the magazines out. I always grab People magazine, man. I love like, uh, like just kind of the mindless following what the celebrities I are knew doing. it. I, I knew it's it. It's a really weird thing about me. Yeah. Um, but it, it gets weird with the church, with the whole celebrity pastor deal, and we've yeah. seen how that's blown up around here recently. Um but also like you said, when there are celebrities who like uh are start talking about Jesus, we as the church uh want to jump on them so fast, like, look, we've got some. We- like here they are, they're on our <laughs> team, they're on our team. He's one of us. So every time a football player kneels to pray and every time a celebrity mentions Jesus we want to hold them up really high and that i always cringe at that because yeah. there's a really good chance that they're going to fall not because they're a celebrity but because they're a person right and uh, i don't think that it's biblical for us to start holding up certain people like like look at them they're they're not even a great christian they're just a celebrity who is a christian and therefore we're going to give more focus to them i remember this at a church i was listening to a podcast at a church um a big church kind of i think it was 3 or 4 years ago and i remember reading that like this one big basketball player was starting to go to this church and mm. within the first couple of months they brought him up and interviewed him for a whole Sunday service. Mm. And they made a really big deal of it. And then like literally less than a less than a year later you were reading some really shady stuff about him. Like oh, he had man. clearly left the church and, yeah. this, and you're just like, Man, that was probably the wrong move on your part. But I get it. Like it's a celebrity. It's this and it's a weird deal. I think the church has to be really careful.
1: I think a lot of times it comes down to marketing too, because there's, there's such a weird dichotomy. When I like those guys like Brennan Manning, who were uh, prolific in the, the formative years of my faith, who yeah. you know was this recovering alcoholic, this really um, raw. He just wrote really honest, like busted up types, the kind of stuff that I read. I'm like, can you sell books admitting yes. that kind of brokenness? And I think that juxtaposed sometimes with our, our obsession with sort of the squeaky clean. Uh, influencers, right? Like influence becomes like the primary uh, thing that we shoot for, whether it's pastors or celebrities. And maybe that was part of the motive behind interviewing this basketball player. Like, oh man, people will come because of this interview. And I honestly, I think I can get there. I can understand. Yep. Okay. So maybe they're not coming for the right reasons, but if they come and they experience God in a powerful way, maybe that's the foot in the door because this celebrity was there. Like to me, that makes evangelistic sense. Part of the, the struggle for me is how we perpetuate, though, that you you are of greater value if you're famous, if yeah. you have a platform, if people know your name. And if you don't, particularly for pa- I mean pastors all the time who grieve the fact that their church has never, quote unquote, reached a certain number. They, don't, they feel like they failed because they don't have enough Instagram followers. And I think, man, we've inverted in a really yes. unhelpful way, an unhealthy way. That subtly communicates to to pastors and lay leaders that you're not you're not doing it right if you haven't achieved this like mega global success, which I'm not knocking. I'm I think there've been plenty of global leaders who are bringing a lot of good to the world, yeah. but they're also honest about their struggles. They're honest about their failures, and I think if if we get that out of whack, man, that that could do some real damage.
2: I you start to see people like there. You and I talked about Justin Bieber the other day. Yeah, how like the church. Uh, the Christian world wants to be like, look, the, the Beebs, right? He's like, he, he's... he's <laughs> I don't know that anyone calls him the Beebs but do, you. <laughs> I do. He's hes going to church. yeah. And he says, but he's a young kid who's got all this stuff, and we know he's really up and down. And yeah. so to hold him up, or recently, right, you're reading about Chris Pratt um, seems to be uh, really out there with his faith right now. And praise God, that's awesome if the Holy Spirit is doing a work in Chris Pratt's life. I think you and I are just feeling uncomfortable with, like... You know, like holding these people up. Yep. And I don't know. I, it feels dangerous. Like if, if my kids are more about Justin Bieber being a Christian than about Jesus, right. you know, we're, we're sending a mixed message that it's dangerous. But if Bieber
1: gets them interested in Jesus, is it worth it? Is, it is does the – do the means justify the ends that, okay, but this is maybe – like when I was a youth pastor, I would regularly hold events. I was like, huh, we'll pay for your pizza. And kids that didn't have any interest in church or Jesus would come for the free pizza and some of them encountered Jesus in the process. And yep. to that, I would say, I'm going to keep buying free pizzas then. Like yep. if that, I'm willing to do that. And there are plenty of people who really disagreed with my methodology. Like, oh, that's really manipulative. Maybe not even manipulative. Like kids should want to come to church. Yep. And I'm like, I agree that they should want to, but they don't. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a different tack here. Yep. And if they'll come for free pizza and hopefully encounter God in a really powerful way. I'm for it.
2: I did the exact thing as a youth pastor. Did you really the free every, pizza thing? <laughs> every first Sunday I brought I bought Papa John's and it was bring your friend to youth group. It was always double the number. It was wild. Yeah, right. I thought nothing wrong with it. I would say the danger for me is this. Like it's one thing to offer free pizza yep. or something like that. It's another thing to say, hey, look at this person because that person very well might fail and then I've got to deal with, you know, yeah. the fallout of that. It's the same thing with the celebrity pastor. Yeah. The people who put their faith in James McDonald are now have their faith rocked. Yeah, sure. If hopefully their faith was actually in Jesus, but if it was in McDonald or right. Hybels right. or Driscoll or Keep Going. Yep you got to deal with that fallout when that fallen person doesn't doesn't do so well.
1: Well, and the elephant in the room, too, is that influence is like a modern word for power. And I think we always need to be careful about how attracted our heart is to power. That if somebody in power is on, quote-unquote, my team or they're a part of our tribe, what is it in my heart that really, really celebrates that? That might be a true, like, honest-to-God conversion situation, but we need to be – I need to be careful about why am I so drawn to having – rubbing shoulders with the yes. right people or having the right people in our tribe and, and and keeping at the forefront. The goal isn't to collect more and more celebrities for our team. Right. The goal is Christ-likeness, to right. become more and more like Jesus. Amen. And that's really, really difficult to do when we're obsessed with the polish and the yes. platform. I think in a lot of ways those are kind of like oil and water. Yes. Well, coming up next, I want to talk about some surprising facts about pastors. You and I are both pastors, and in a lot of ways um, we get a chance here to to share some things maybe that you didn't know about the, the pastoral ministry, some of the stuff that weighs in our hearts. And so we're gonna get we're gonna get a little real here and share some of the stuff kind of beneath the surface that is true, maybe not just for us, but pastors around the globe. Yes. So that's coming up next on the common good here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good friends. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The Common Good is a show about not only what do we have in common. But also about living in common space, the mundane, ordinary—that's just sort of true for all of us, humans. Whether you're a person of faith or not, we also want to dive into the stuff that maybe is messy, stuff that doesn't have easy answers, and hopefully do some work to kind of pull back the veil. I feel like a lot of times we're just going so fast. All at least I am that to pause and ask the deeper question: What's the thing behind the thing? Not just what does this action say, but what's the thing behind the action? And and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes. We're going to disagree on the conclusion sometimes. We're going to want to keep talking about things because it's still kind of fuzzy, and maybe you can relate to that same kind of sentiment. And we'd love to hear from you. You can join us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted on any platform that you want to find us, and we'd love to hear from you there. And uh, I found this story. It's from churchleaders.com. It's a fascinating story, and I'm always particularly intrigued when uh, different organizations try to tackle This particular topic because you and I are both pastors. And the title is real simple. It just says 14 surprising facts about pastors. And cat out of the bag, I agree with some of them, but not all of them.
2: Yeah, that's what's going to make this fun. I think so the same way.
1: And you probably, right. We might not even have the same ones in common, which is uh,
2: ironic. So why don't you kick us off? Uh, Number one, it says this again, this is from churchleaders.com about pastors 14 surprising facts about pastors. Number one, Pastors fight the balance p- between pleasing people and pleasing God every day. What do you yes think? Yes or no?
1: I want to know what you think.
2: Uh, I do. I'm a people pleaser. I told you this before. So um, I don't think this is would be unique to me as just being a pastor. Hmm. I think I would fight this every day. Like I, don't, I can't think of a lot of times I spend during my day going, am I going to choose God or people here? Right, right. Because uh, he says we do that. Uh, what we do we do what we do because we love God and people, trying to please both is a common reason for pastor burnout. Hmm. I guess I don't think of it in that way, but I am a people pleaser, so this actually is a struggle of mine, but it's right. not usually in the way they've set this up.
1: Well I also think it's interesting that you know, when it's when it's in blog format, it's it's really easy to delineate between pleasing people and pleasing God. Yep. But isn't part of the trick that sometimes my people-pleasing feels like I'm trying to please God, like they're kind of wrapped up in each other, and it's not always black and white. like, oh, am I striving to please God in this moment, or am I striving to please people? If it was that obvious, I think it'd be easier to run from. People-pleasing wouldn't be nearly the issue, but because so often pleasing this person feels like the thing that God wants me to do, which sometimes may be the case, but I think that for me is where where it gets gray and murky sometimes. Good. Number two. Number two, we often hear more negative than positive feedback. People assume pastors get praise uh, often for their good sermons. That's not true. We hear complaints often and more readily than we hear compliments. Healthy pastors can live without a lot of compliments, but the reality is we often hear much more negative than positive feedback. Um, I don't know that that's collectively true in my case, but I think I've told you this story before. I remember early on I became a lead pastor pretty young, and uh, I was terrified. I didn't know what I was doing. I was really nervous and convinced I was screwing everything up yep. all the time. Like evenings were really hard because i was like god what, what am i doing what are you doing letting me do this and i remember somebody early on saying uh oh wow lead pastor at 27 i'll pray that you don't get a big head <laughs> and i remember thinking if you only knew yes like the crushing weight of this responsibility that i'm convinced i'm screwing up yeah. like I, my my ego is so far from being inflated in fact like every week is a challenge not to write my resignation letter because yep. I'm, I'm so I'm so convinced yep. I'm doing it poorly and maybe that's not every pastor's experience but early on for me that was a that was a real struggle
2: yeah I would say for me it has less to do with negative feedback and positive feedback as much as just a void of feedback sometimes hmm. just going. Not that I want negative feedback, I probably crave positive feedback. But right. sometimes I hear silence, and I know that they're giving negative or positive feelings about me to each other. Sometimes, oh, that's good. Uh, but I don't necessarily. Sometimes it feels like a vacuum. Like, hello, anybody? Right,
1: anybody? That's a good point because I remember the first time there was a lady at our church who was always like overtly encouraging yep. at the end of every Sunday, and she always had sweet, specific things to say. And then one Sunday, she walked past me, and she just, she just said. Have a nice Sunday. (laughs) So she didn't say anything negative, but it was like the absence of encouragement was crushing to me because she had a pattern of being really encouraging. And I thought, how frail and fragile am I that just the the absence of affirmation just felt like a crushing weight to me is so true.
2: Number three, we say no because we love our sheep. Mm. Pastors have families and lives, too. We have to say no sometimes in order to be a good dad, a present husband, a good friend for self-care. Mm. When a pastor says no to an event, it should not be received as an indication that the pastor does not love the sheep but as a protective measure. I say no all the time, and my church isn't even that big. Mm. But I don't— what. What this one seems to be implying is that the people don't understand and actually look badly at you for saying no. Hmm. I actually feel like my church culture is one where they appreciate my no. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. So I do say no to a lot of things. Um but I don't I've never really felt like the mm, you're the pastor, you should really Right. maybe they do feel that way and I just don't perceive it, but I've I feel like I say no and it's 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 received okay.
1: And props to you for cultivating that culture though. I think that's that's hard to do because you know, I, I think if if work is the only thing you do, you're not going to be – you're not a full person, yeah. right? If that's all – and the same goes for ministry, and I think to recognize that me, me having and holding hard to a Sabbath rhythm yeah. is not just you for g- me and my family. I actually will be a better pastor and leader when, when I can actually make and hold those commitments. I think True. that's really important. True. Right, number four, uh, our families feel the weight of our calling more than they will ever tell you. This uh, particular author says, my, "My kids are young, yet they feel the weight I bring home at times, and so does my wife." Pastors' families are well aware of what they do, and even the youngest member will feel the weight of what it means to lead a church. Mm. I think that that is—I mean, my oldest is only fifteen months, but that's <laughs> convicting because yeah. you know, so often uh, I think the families are forgotten in the weight of what the pastor or the pastoral team wears, just in what they know. You know, sometimes you and I both had days where somebody is just having. Like a catastrophically rough week, and you're bearing some of that just by being a friend, you know. And that it's pretty inescapable that we would bring that home sometimes.
2: Yeah. When I read this one, I I certainly my kids are older than yours, obviously fifteen, and then I've got a fifth grader and a fourth grader. And uh, I don't, I I would rewrite this for me personally that my wife feels the weight of my calling more Mm. than they more than she probably tells people. Mm. She's the one who hears about things. She sees things. It's part of her family, right? Yes, totally. The church is her family. I could be wrong. Maybe I need to have this conversation with my kids. I don't sense my kids. I don't sense that from them. My wife, certainly. Yeah, Yeah. same here, for sure. Number five, eating well, not good at it. Exercising well, not good at it. (laughs) Sleeping well, eh, sometimes, (laughs) is hard work for us. Uh, pastors are often selfless to a fault. Will more quickly go serve someone than work out, sleep, or prioritize? I don't know. This is one I didn't agree with. I don't think I eat well or exercise well because that's more who I am. Yeah,
1: I don't think it. For me, at least, it's not. A, it's not because of selflessness. It's not at it's all because of a lack of commitment and, I think. and lack. Of, yes,
2: I think we're gonna move past this one. <laughs> i don't feel this well, I think we're feeling convicted by this one is what I, it feels I do. like. I sleep well too <laughs> i't do well
1: and part of me not sleeping well is probably because we have a newborn at home,
2: not part of it, but yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's de- yeah. that's definitely true. Well,
1: it does later say it, it may sound nice for a pastor to be selfless and to think of others first. there's a balance to be practiced or yeah. it would uh, not be good for the pastor or the person being served that is that is tough to strike, but a lot of that has to do with temperament absolutely uh number six here many many of us are professional extroverts, pastors have to do a lot of deep thinking and study we're used to being alone and actually uh, love it i don't know if you do or not uh, but we enjoy our time with people too we're often professional extroverts relating to crowds uh, and leading people out of a secondary set of gifts which i can absolutely That's l- you. relate to. i can totally relate to this one i'm kind of on the cusp though of extrovert introvert and i can i can definitely be on and love it but uh, i mean a lot of times at the end of a sunday i'm like i'm like Physically and emotionally, just sort of tired, and I love it. I still, I mean, it still fires me up, but it, it certainly is, you know, like true extroverts are just re-energized by. It. And sometimes I'm realizing, man, I'm, my cup's kind of being poured out a little bit here.
2: Yeah, I, I am less extroverted than I used to be. Really, when I get older, I'm, I'm more introverted, but. Uh, I get this one. I don't think it's me, but I get the professional extroversion. Like, we have to be on at times. I get that.
1: Totally. Coming up next, we're going to finish this list from churchleaders.com, 14 surprising facts about pastors. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, friends. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. The Common Good, a show about diving into what we have in common, but also the stuff that doesn't have easy answers and hopefully at the end of the day, bringing some good to the world. Like for me, that is a really, really high mark and a hard thing to accomplish because you know, the people listening come from a myriad of backgrounds and you may be into this whole Jesus thing and maybe really skeptical or maybe a doubter. Or maybe you're really hurt by the church or a Christ follower. Ho- hopefully whatever demographic, whatever part of your story you're living in right now, we'd love for this to be a place to lean in a little bit, to yep. create space for dialogue and even disagreement and, and entering into the stuff that doesn't have easy answers. And so you you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can go to 1160hope.com, and all the previous shows are there. And we've been uh, unpacking this article that I found on uh, churchleaders.com called 14 Surprising Facts About Pastors. And just to reiterate, Brian and I don't (laughs) necessarily agree with all of these, but I think it's helpful insight because a lot of times pastors – are sort of these like untouchable figures, yeah. for better or for worse, usually for worse. Yep. And I think oftentimes people have um, very little idea about what it's like to be in a pastor's head. Yeah. And, <laughs> and a lot of times that's a terrifying place. At times. It's a dangerous place to go. But a lot of times pastors, I, I think, don't know how to really be honest about some of these things. And so hopefully this has been a little insightful and yep. maybe convicting. It certainly has been for me. Yeah, it's been helpful for me. Like, oh, yeah, I feel that. Right? Yeah, I maybe didn't think about it that way, but reading it certainly yeah. is clarifying. Uh, number eight here says spiritual warfare is a way of life. And I would just say, I think it's a way of life for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'd
2: said the same thing on that. I don't think I'm not a believer and maybe, maybe this is a weakness. I don't think that I'm more targeted in my life than other people in my church. Yeah, I think as, as Christians, spiritual warfare is a way of life Yep, and pastor, plumber, teacher, uh, there's probably some uniqueness to it, but I don't think it's more. There is some
1: uniqueness to it, and I think that I, I had a mentor at my ordination talk about you know the analogy of a general on a horse like in yeah. battle. A general is on a horse, which gives them a unique perspective of the battle, but also makes them an easier target. I think that I'm probably more comfortable saying easier target yes, for that reason I'm because good. of all the stuff we talked about the ego that can get wrapped up in it, the the you know self management, the the stoic, yeah. never let them see a sweat temptation. Like that, I think those are all inroads for this kind of spiritual attack. But I think, I think everybody's attacked like
2: that. Yep. Number nine, we're always fighting our own sin too. Pastors right. are far from perfect. Uh, we have our own sins that we are always fighting. Be patient with us. Mm. I think it's fair. I, the, hard, the struggle for a pastor is how do you fight sin in such a public? Like if I admit to too to grave of a sin, it also I also lose my job. Yeah, right. And that's totally. where it becomes a weird thing for churches and pastors. But pastors are people. Yep. You know, and they're not they're no better nor worse, hopefully, than the other people out there. They just have some unique training and calling and um, but sin issues and marital issues and kid issues and all of that are part of our lives as
1: well. Do you want to tell us some of your sins on the air right now? Would that be something you want
2: to the- <laughs> maybe? How about stay around for the five o'clock hour? We'll do a whole segment <laughs> sins with Brian. Oh, my goodness. What a teaser. Yeah. Uh, it's Friday, man. Let's uh, do that.
1: Well done. <laughs> Number 10, uh, it takes us about seven days to unplug for a meaningful and true vacation. Again, I think that's true for everybody.
2: I guess so. I just know this is one of the best things that I've taught. Kelly Brady has been in here before. Yeah, right. He's kind of a mentor of mine. I worked under him for many years before starting Four Corners and One of the best things he ever told me early on on was, if you can do it, take a two-week vacation. It will take you a week to start vacationing.
1: That's so wise, And it might be
2: true for other people, too. I've only ever been a pastor, and now, at least once a year, I try to get a two-week vacation, and it is so true. Uh, My guess is this is true for everybody. Uh, Pastors probably have some unique flexibility to be able to get out, but... Uh, if you could take two-week vacations, I think you will love that second week more than you can describe.
1: I, I'm feeling really convicted by this because I can't think of the last time I took a two-week no.
2: vacation. Honestly. Now that we started a radio show. You were, you were out for like two weeks last week, like a month ago. I was out for one week because we had a baby. Yeah. Baby, vacation, whatever. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> we know where
1: your priorities stand.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, number 11, uh, and this is one I'm not going to agree with. Uh, it's hard for us to have friends. Mm. I think that's because sometimes pastors are weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's less mystical than that. It's just they're weird. It can be hard to have friends in your church, but if you do a little bit of work and if you're not fake, if you're like a real person, yeah, right. it's not impossible. And in fact, I think it, it only helps your pastorate to have friends within your church. I'm not one of those believers of like, people will tell you, you can't have friends in your church. I got an argument with some pastors about this once. And I said, If I can't be friends with people in my church, obviously it can be complicated, but if I can't be friends with people in my church, then I don't want to pastor that church.
1: Well, that's not what this is saying. It's saying it's hard to do that, which I think there's some truth to that for all the reasons that you've listed. Like sometimes there's these really antiquated ideas that like, well, if I'm in leadership then I can't like really let my weaknesses be known. And that's part of what having friends is. It's letting people into like the innermost parts of your fears and hopes and dreams and I definitely felt the weight of that. Like, ah, how honest can I be if you're – Yeah. but the operative word that you used is work. It's work regardless. Yep. And I think pastors – I've heard so many pastors just excuse not having friends because, like, ah, it's extra hard for us, right? And I'm like, even if it is, do the hard work of yeah. having real friends. Like, you need it. Your marriage needs it. Your church needs it. Like, And it's... I would
2: say it's only hard with – it. it's only complicated and hard within your church. Yeah. Yeah, The, the people true. in my neighborhood or at my kid's school and stuff, they really don't care that I'm a pastor. They're not like, well, you're a pastor. I don't Ooh. want to be your friend. <laughs> right, that's they true. They might be like, you're strange. We don't want to be your friend. But, <laughs>
1: but we'd be strange even if we weren't that's pastors. What I mean. That's I mean. I mean, it's more a reflection
2: of me than my job. That's true. Number 12. This is one we all love to hear from our crazy uncles and stuff, right? Yeah. We work more than one day a week. It's true. People joke with me almost weekly that I only work one day a week. What's the big deal? I know they're joking, but it's obviously not true. Hmm. Uh, I think this goes without saying. Like, Does anyone really believe that we work one day a week? I don't think so. I think it's just a joke. I I do get
1: some honest inquiries. Like, what do you actually do? Like, what does a Tuesday look like? Which is a fair question. It's a pretty strange job. And no two weeks are ever the same, at least for me. There's always kind of ebbs and flows. But I go to Starbucks, and then I get tired of there, and I go to Panera. Of course you do. And then I go back
2: to Starbucks. You're
1: you're such a suburban pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Number 13, one of our greatest joys is when our sheep get it. Okay, Let me first say... Um, I'm going to start a campaign to stop calling our churches
2: sheep. Thank like, you. I don't. I, they, I was literally, when I read this, I was going to be like, do you hate when people call our churches really sheep? I really do, man. I can't. I can't. I've, I can't. I find it pretty baby, belittling. Let's both try to get up this Sunday and be like, no, nope. my sheep. Nope. Nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> be looking for a new job. But I do think, though, there's some truth to that, though. The like, yes. the aha moment. Like, I, I remember a couple weeks ago, a woman came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she's like, I've never heard grace describe the way that you just it, it, and it was like you could tell that she wasn't putting on airs it was like that changes everything and i was like this is what i do what i do this is it like that for that that moment was so Mm. not just affirming but like life-giving that we get to be a part of those stories when people have these light bulb moments and then we get to walk with them as they learn that even more i feel so grateful that we get to be a part of that with people that's that's a
2: gift i think yeah Last one, number fourteen. We all wish we could wear robes. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding.
3: That is not it.
2: Number fourteen. We are rewarded by being invited into a full spectrum of life's big moments. I think this is for me. This is totally true. Yeah, same. Uh, you know, to have the, cl- the to have uh, the invitation into whether it be hard moments like death or sickness, or be welcomed into the truly celebratory moments like totally. weddings. Uh, I think is one of the great joys and one of the great privileges of being a pastor. And quite frankly, it's why a lot of us do it. It's not for the week in, week out, Sunday grind, as much as we love that. It's for those moments where you could really be with someone, I think, is totally the highlight of being a pastor for it's,
1: me. And it's really humbling. Absolutely. Like, I've been able to witness stuff and walk alongside people in the midst of things that even as it's happening in my head, I'm thinking, what is the universe that I would be invited into this right yes. now? Like, that – like, please hear that. And I, my guess is that whoever your pastor is, they feel the same way. That Absolutely. when when we we're invited into those moments, it, it is so life giving. Not because it like affirms us and like our need to be here, but because we get invited into the humanity of of what we're what we're hoping to do anyway. Like that. We we didn't get into this, you know, to get a stage or a platform or a right. book, but to like do life with people, and I think that's that's really, really important to remember. Absolutely. We're kind of piggybacking off of that, coming up next, I want to talk about this idea of passion versus calling and why I think that passion and calling are actually not the same thing, even though we very often use those words interchangeably. Yes. That's coming up on the common good right here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. show, hopefully, about the stuff that we share in common, but also kind of the common, ordinary space. Most of life isn't really lived on mountaintops and valleys, although that's part of it. Absolutely. But the truth is that there's this middle space that I think, if we're not if we're not careful, we can just sort of go on autopilot, and, and life is happening to us. And there's stuff that I think is worth engaging in, but it requires us to kind of take a deep dive beneath the noise. And that's, that's hard to do. So kind of our goal is to create a space kind of take a deep dive under the noise to to really unpack what's really going on. And sometimes we'll disagree. Sometimes, oftentimes, we won't have conclusions. But we would love to engage with you as well. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com, and all the previous shows are there. You can find us podcasted on whatever platform you like. And uh, we just talked at length, Brian, about these 14 things um, that are probably true of your pastor, but you maybe didn't know where he or she hasn't actually told you, and it's sort of this peek behind the curtain of the insanity of pastoral ministry, right? Right. Which is tr- there is a, a healthy dose of craziness, I there think, is. in in doing that. But one of the things that I think you and I both have heard a lot in ministry school, probably in church context, is this idea of calling. Yes, and and maybe even anointing. Do you guys use language like that at your church? I would say
2: we use calling, calling more yep, often. Yep,
1: yep. Do Do you feel like the word calling means today what it meant? A thousand years ago or a hundred years mm-hmm. ago and how, how much has that has shifted and like in what ways is that word helpful and in what ways maybe have we have we misunderstood
2: the idea of calling that's a great question i think uh i would guess years ago uh, or i just know now what calling means for me is that um think of the word passion right okay passion is like i am so excited about this all the time here right. i go i've got to do this Calling, for me, connotates kind of a, like, I know God has called me into the ministry, yeah, and I'm going to faithfully keep doing it in the good times and the bad. It's kind of like that long obedience in the same direction. Right. Um, I don't think that necessarily God calls us into specific roles. Like, Mm. um, I don't. I think, um, like, I don't think I was specifically called to four corners and I can never leave. Right. And that if I do it, I'm turning my back on my calling. Okay. I think it's more a calling into ministry, but quite frankly I do struggle with it because I think we're all called into ministry. So hmm. um curious what you think about that. Are we, as pastors, specifically called in ways that other people aren't? Huh. Uh or yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
1: To me it's almost it's almost like a like a God's sovereignty slash predestination type of question. Like if yeah. I if I run this conversation out to its logical end, like I've met people, and I'm sure you have too, that when you hear their story and you hear what they're doing now, it's unmistakable to me. Like, this is the thing yes. you're supposed to be, 100%. Um, however, I don't know that I have total confidence in saying, if you weren't doing this thing, you'd be in disobedience. right? Because like if you run that out, sometimes I think you live, it's easy to live in sort of a plan A, plan B version of God, that if, like, if I go to the wrong college, it means I'm going to get the wrong degree and I'm going to marry the wrong person and have the wrong job and live in the wrong house and i'm yep. you know like i'm just doomed for you the rest of my life you can never turn that around you can never turn that around that's a really flat one dimensional version of god and i think his interaction with us i also think you can be passionate in the wrong direction right yeah. like passion and discernment i think need to go hand in hand and i think when it comes to calling to me scripture is clear about we are called all of us in certain areas um, and the specifics of how that is lived out I think we're given some freedom in that. Yes. I think God is saying, okay, make sure these are in order, um, because any kind of calling won't disregard, it won't disagree with loving your neighbor. It, it won't disagree with like Jesus being Lord over everything and won't disagree with living a life of generosity and forgiveness. And so if you find yourself in a place where like, oh, I think God's calling me to this and it disagrees with the character of Jesus or what we see or best interpret in scripture, that's probably a good first caution. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I, I, I sometimes I really do believe that there are, there have been specific calls in people's lives in unique, specific ways, at least for a specific time. Yep. And maybe not for the rest of our lives in that one environment, but I think that there is some specificity sometimes.
2: I do. My worry when we're like, oh, pastors are called to their specific things and all this stuff, is it is it either lets everybody else off the hook or it... It diminishes what other people are doing, oh, that's right? Good.
1: Or it makes the pastor untouchable. Exactly. Like, oh, I can't say anything about them because they're
2: called, exactly. they're anointed. When, when I read scripture, what I see is that everybody's called. Mm. That that if you tomorrow quit your job at the yellow box and you decided to be, you know, um, a full time Uber driver, that'd be an <laughs> awesome job for you. That'd be great.
1: Uh, to be a terrible Uber driver,
2: you're still called to love your neighbor and love God with everything you have and to yeah. go and make disciples. You haven't been. You are not now off mission. Mm. Uh, I was having this talk with a good pastor friend of mine recently who is uh, getting out of the ministry, not for any bad reason. Some opportunities have come his way, and uh, he has had some people get mad at him. Like, Mm. why would you get out of the ministry? You're good at this. All good questions.
1: Right. But they see his skill set in this area— as rationale for the calling in their mind, right? Exactly. Because you're good at this, how could you possibly do anything
2: else? Exactly. And he's trying to say, and it will remain to be seen if he's right. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go, I'll always be a part of a church. I'll always be living on mission. I'll always be this. I'm just going to do this now in this season of my life. And yep. I don't, yep. when I talk to him, I don't sense that he's turned his back on his calling. Hmm. Um, but I do think, see, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth now because <laughs> when I think of calling, I think of ordination time. Like when we went through our ordination, you know? where where people that I were close to were able to say, I see God's calling in your life to go into ministry. And that um, those words of affirmation by those people at that time years ago still sustains me now in Mm. some darker times or sometimes where I'm like, I want to quit. No, wait. Those people I really respect prayerfully said, no, I believe God wants to. So I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here because uh, I do think that there, it could be argued at least, that there is a set-apartness. Um, yeah, I'm talking in circles here, man, because I'm struggling. <laughs> I am struggling with... Because I don't think... I just am trying to protect us from saying Brian and Ian as pastors are called right, to something. Right, But the teachers in my congregation and the moms, the stay-at-home moms and the plumbers and stuff yes. are not called to something. They are. They, they are on mission. 100%. They are called as well.
1: And I think there's free... I, I really think there's freedom there. If you're an image-bearer of God, which... Here's, here's the kicker. We all are. Yep. You all have a sacred call on your life to live as Jesus lives in and through us. And that could look a number of different ways. That could look like running a business. That could look like serving in a construction team. Yep. That could look a number of different ways. And I think it's probably maybe the most common question I get actually as a pastor is how do I discern that then? How do, how do I discern mm-hmm. God's will? I hear that all the time. I've wrestled with that myself. We're both kind of wrestling with that. I yes. think one of the wisest things that I ever heard was was talking about discerning God's will uh, in stages, discerning his will, his timing, and his ways. It's not just about this like big, ethereal, what's your will, God? But the timing also, Yeah, God may be calling you for this specific role, but not yet. And then to also run that through the filter of his ways, like the thing that he's calling you to do or leading you toward will never contradict like yes. what we see in the person of Jesus. And yes. so to keep all three of those, discern his will, his timing, and his ways, is always best done in the context of community. Yes. You you touched on it. Yes. These people that spoke life into you, even and especially when you doubted it, mm-hmm. has been such a source of like encouragement to you. We need that. You don't just discern in a vacuum or in a mountaintop. You ask the people that you know are walking faithfully with God. Yes. What do you see in me, good and bad? Like where where can I be? Where, where where can I be better aligned with what God is doing? And to let people and to actually listen to them, like yes. to actually let people do that is easier said than done, but I think really important.
2: Yeah, and let me throw one more nugget in here just because I've heard people do this. God doesn't call you to sinful things. Yeah. So be careful when you say, God's called me to do X, Y, and Z if it's not biblical. That's right. Well, either way,
1: I think the whole point of this discussion is that God has and is calling you. Yes. Lean in, listen to his voice, and allow a community of people to speak life and truth into you. Well, this has been The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
2: Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simkins. Uh, You can follow us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Or online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you do subscribe to the podcast, would be great if you gave us nice, nice reviews, lots of stars, all sorts of stuff. lots of their stars. Tell me about the star system. <laughs> no, we did this yesterday. <laughs> we did this yesterday. Uh, so, Ian, every now and then you're just reminded that there are people in our culture who are really smart. <laughs> every and, now and then. it's like every day I'm reminded. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And one of those people is Bill Gates. And yep. uh, someday we'll get into a talk about how Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and those guys. Uh, Curtailed all of their uh, how much uh, social media they were on and how yeah, often their right. kids were on stuff and all right. that kind of stuff. Uh, but Business Insider ran a fascinating article that you know sometimes on this show we just like to do things that are fun and yeah. make us go kind of wow. So this uh, this story was that Bill Gates made fifteen predictions back in nineteen ninety nine. And it's just fascinating how many of them have come true. So we just wanted to go through some of them, just have some fun. So why don't you kick us off some of these 15 predictions that Bill Gates made in 1999 that have eerily come true.
1: And just to make sure this is crystal clear, because sometimes when I hear 1999, I think that was like four years ago. It, no,
2: it wasn't. It's 20 years ago.
1: Bill Gates made these predictions are verified. He wrote them down. It's recorded somewhere. This first one. Uh, He said, automated price comparison services will be developed, allowing people to see prices across multiple websites, making it (laughs) effortless to find the cheapest product for all industries. I don't even need to list how many examples of that exist in the world. Like, It's amazing to me. 99, we hardly even knew what the Internet was. Yes. His capacity to look out 20 years to make a prediction like that
2: is mind-boggling. Crazy. Number two just says mobile devices. He predicted people will carry around small devices that allow them to constantly stay in touch and do electronic business from wherever they are. Gosh. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Unbelievable. He got that one. Go ahead. Number three.
1: Number three prediction. People will pay their bills, take care of their finances,
2: and communicate with their doctors over the internet. (laughs) Done. Unbelievable. Let's keep going. Number four, uh, personal assistance. Personal companions will be developed. They will connect and sync all your devices in a smart way, oh whether they're at home or in the office, and allow them to exchange data. The device will check your email or notifications and present the information that you need. When you go to the store, you could tell it what recipes you wanted to prepare, right, and it will generate a list of ingredients for you to pick up. This is eerie. This is this is Alexa. <laughs> this is Google Assistant. That's right. all of this. He's, he's doing well here.
1: Unbelievable. Okay. Prediction number five, uh, constant video feeds of your house will become common, which inform you when somebody visits while you are not home. <laughs> I'm amazed. Actually, I don't, I don't have anything like this, but I, I see videos all the time of yes. people. I didn't even realize how common that particular luxury was. It's huge. Uh, but it's amazing. Like 20 years prior, he made that prediction.
2: Uh, number six, tell me if these things exist. Private websites for your friends and family will be common, allowing you to chat And plan for events. I think we call that Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, Snapchat, all of those things.
1: Yeah, eVites, all of that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, prediction number seven. uh, Software that knows when you've booked a trip and uses that information to suggest activities at the local destinations. It suggests activities, discounts, offers, and cheaper prices for all the things you want to take part in. That's Expedia and Kayak and Airbnb and Google and Facebook. That's bonkers to me.
2: Number eight, while watching a sports event on television, services will allow you to discuss what is going on live and enter a contest where you vote on who you think will win. Again, we call that Twitter. Yeah, that's I, I rarely watch sports event. If I'm watching a sports event live, a big one, I will have Twitter open to oh, see totally, what people are saying. Oh, totally. Same,
1: same, same thing. Uh, number nine, smart advertising. Devices will have smart advertising. They will know your purchasing trends and will display advertisements that are tailored toward your preferences. Which is sort of the big brother in the sky, right? Yep. Which I think we call Mordor. Is
2: that, is that the <laughs> correct? That's true, though. That's absolutely true. And what's amazing is none of this existed in 99. Like Not even a little just bit. Been, this would have been out from 90, uh, almost 100% of us. This would have just been unfathomable. Is it just from
1: his brain, by the way? Yes. That's fascinating.
2: Uh, number 10 television broadcasts will include links to relevant websites and content that complement what you are watching. Gosh, we see that all the time. No like Now it would be weird if we didn't see links on TV of sending us to places on the Internet. Totally.
1: If you're just joining us, these are 15 predictions Bill Gates made back in 1999. Number 11 is online discussion boards. Residents of cities and countries will be able to have Internet-based discussions concerning issues that affect them, such as local politics, city planning, or safety, which is obviously, you know, that's Facebook and Twitter. But there's also apps like Nextdoor and Citizen that are aimed at helping people and neighborhoods uh, connect with each other to discuss these local issues. I, yes. That's amazing how spot on he's been.
2: All right. This one's going to blow you away. Yeah. Cause this is like, it's like he time traveled from our time now.
1: <laughs> Maybe he did.
2: Number two. There you go. There's a, there's a signal. <laughs> time travel. Yes or no. Uh, number 12. Online communities will not be influenced by your location, but rather oh my God. your interest. Wow. All kinds of news sites and online communities focus on single topics Reddit is a great example of something that works this way. It will be driven by interest more than location. That is spot on. Oh, my goodness. Okay,
1: Uh, prediction number 13. Project manager looking to put a team together will, will be able to go online, describe the project, and receive recommendations for available people who would fit their requirements. You can see this with like Slack or Trello. There's so many. I mean, I've used a ton of these in my everyday workflow. Like, It's amazing how integrated and common these things are that he was able to kind of predict out of thin air 20 years ago. (laughs)
2: Last one. This is crazy. Uh, Online recruiting. People looking for work will be able to find employment opportunities online by declaring their interest, their needs, and their specialized skills. That's almost the only way people find jobs now. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. no kidding.
2: Crazy. And, man, I read these, and I am just like, A, blown away by – by his ability here, but also remembering that there are people, there are visionaries in this world yep. uh, who see things out there that, that the rest of us don't see and just become our reality when these visionaries then act upon it.
1: Okay. Well, there's one more here. There's uh oh, I number, one? number. Yeah. There's number 15. Uh, he,
2: he can predict the future. I can't even count.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Don't be too hard on yourself. The companies will be able to bid on jobs, whether they're looking for a construction project or a uh, movie production or an advertising campaign. This will be, efficient for both big companies that want to outsource the work they don't usually face businesses looking for new clients and corporations that don't have a go-to provider for said service. Mm. This is websites like Upwork and Fiverr and like his ability, not only to make predictions about the existence of technology, but the ways that people will need to use them uh, to me. And maybe this is a whole other conversation. Like who are the people in the church world that are thinking like
0: this, yes. that aren't just
1: trying to like maintain status quo, but thinking five, 10, 15 years on the road. Like what are the ways that we need to be nimble as a community, as a ministry to yes. be able to actually better care for the people in our communities. That, that to me would be a fascinating
2: conversation. Cause I totally struggle with this. I see tomorrow and what needs to be done. Yeah. Mad. Right. Right. But these visionaries who say, no, this is where the world is going or could go. Even if everyone else thinks it's crazy. Yes. Uh, is simply unbelievable. Well, sometimes we just like to do fun stuff that kind of blows our mind. And yep. that was one of us, one of them, Bill Gates on his 15 predictions, way back in 1999. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about science and how some ideas are more contagious than others. What is it that makes ideas contagious more so than others? That's The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are. Uh, I'm joined again by Ian Simpkins. We're excited to be together today. Uh, on this Friday afternoon, it's almost the weekend, my friend. It's true. It's coming. <laughs> you just said that as a state effect. Oh, it is almost the weekend. Weekends means
1: so little to true. me. Now. I mean, I, except for the fact that we work on weekends.
2: <laughs> Valid point.
1: You preaching this Sunday? I'm not.
2: Oh, you're getting a couple of weeks since you That's had true. the baby. Are you, uh, are you preaching this I'm Sunday? I'm up. I'm up. Explore God. Uh, week six, it is, is the Bible reliable?
1: Oh, yeah. Right. So
2: I'm thinking I'm going to get up and be like, no. i <laughs> oh, Gosh. No, so come to the Yellow day. Box this Sunday, because <laughs> <laughs> Brian will be preaching heresy. I'm, I'm enjoying that one. So uh, looking forward to it. If you don't have a church, uh, I'd, ex- I'd encourage you to look up one of the churches doing the Explore God series and uh, and show up to one of them. Whether, you know, Ian's church, the Yellow Box is doing it, my church, Four Corners Community Church, and Darian is doing it. Churches all across the Chicagoland, so we'd encourage you to do it. So, Ian, there was a really interesting study that you came across uh, that talks about ideas, And it was uh, it comes with a really fascinating premise. And you could give the background here in a second. But it essentially uh, hypothesizes this, uh, that ideas that are contagious or that spread and get a lot of traction, it's more important where they came from than even what it says. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the the quote that kind of summarizes the whole thing for me says uh, this implies that where an idea is born. Shapes how far it spreads, holding the quality of the idea constant. So essentially, mm. um, much like uh, diseases and viruses, you know, they're measuring uh, epidemics in that sense. They were curious to discover, to find out um, why some ideas catch on and some don't. And that you know, this could be yeah. measured in a number of different fields, whether it's fashion or music or things as silly as internet memes. Why why does some go viral and some don't? And the whole study is talking about. Uh, Really, the proximity and or the prestige of its origin determines how far it goes. And so there's all sorts of interesting implications, particularly in the sciences. Yes. Because they go on to say um, that's a miss for us because so often we're only paying attention to the Ivy League. And there's all sorts of what they call kind of, quote, middle of the pack universities that are making all sorts of incredible groundbreaking observations and breakthroughs that no one's finding out about. No one's studying. No one's responding to simply because the origin of these findings isn't, like, impressive enough. And I just find I'm not that surprised by it. But in in other fields, you know, fields outside of ministry, I'm surprised to see it so prevalent. Like, I think that's a really interesting discussion.
2: Yeah, and I I would guess that it's prevalent all over the place. You know, in the business world, it probably depends uh, where it comes from in politics. You think even sports, I love sports. Uh, it is it often if if this reporter says something you know if Adam Schefter on ESPN says something right. it's going to go a mile if the guy at the local newspaper says something it's never going to get picked up but in science especially that's a big deal like they're saying basically if it says you know this study out of Harvard it's going to go people are going to believe it they're going to mm. they're going to listen to it you know if it says uh, this study out of I don't know pick a middle Judson <laughs> well, sorry <laughs> well, that sorry. seems rude I mean <laughs> <laughs>
1: I Sorry. love Judson University. Blow, blow. I'm just going to go for the record. Low blow. blow. Some of the
2: best years of my life. It's great school. It is a great school. Um, but that it matters. And and y- y- spinning it forward as pastors, uh, this is a big deal in the Christian world because I don't think it's any different. Yeah. Uh, if a thought or a uh an idea comes from uh this pastor with the big church and the big Twitter following, uh, it means a lot more. Yeah. Than you know, pastor at the the hundred person church out in the country who can't be heard, even though they might have greater wisdom than the big church. And and it, like how it's a loss for the science community, it's a loss for the Christian world. I just don't know what you do about
1: it. Yeah. I think too, a caveat is, is it's not necessarily either, or like yeah. I've had the, the benefit of being mentored both by m- massive church pastors and small yep. church pastors. And, and, and I think, received equal like wisdom and insight i think sometimes there is something to be said about the credibility of someone who has you know been at the helm of something for a long time or helped develop or implement something new but it it does strike me as weird though that by and large we tend to we tend to root for the underdog but we don't necessarily want to listen to them that's like good. a lot of movies and entertainment you know i think of like rudy like ah oh, yeah we're all cheering for rudy uh, i don't know that rudy gives like good career advice <laughs> like, I don't, you know what i mean like and if that's the case again i'm not i'm not totally decided in this particular discussion because a lot of the podcasts and books that you and I read are these like mega famous, mega successful, you know, men and women. And I think that there is some wisdom in that, but I also like I've been really convicted about making sure that there's some diversity in what I'm reading, diversity in Mm -hmm. who I'm listening to, not just diversity in race and gender, but also diversity in geography, diversity in experience and education, maybe even, dare I say, diversity in religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. Like, are we making time? to read from our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters, are are we taking the time to listen to people who look and talk and think yeah. and act way different than we do and not just we're kind of drawn to the, you know, the superstars, which yep. is, is fine. There's plenty of superstars that I think are writing incredible content that are leading the way in yep. really powerful ways. But sometimes maybe what this article is implying is there are people that you don't know of maybe yet yes. that are really on the front lines and no one's listening to yeah. because they haven't quote unquote like achieved the, the success we think is required to, to have an audience.
2: It's interesting. Uh, you know, people become big and become influential a lot of times for good reasons because they've got great stuff to say, like you said. Uh, it's interesting, though. I was We're interviewing for some part-time positions at our church, hmm. and one of the questions we've asked people is, like, tell us just to get a feel for who you are. Who do you like to read? Who do you like to listen to? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, – they, they all say the same people. No kidding. Uh, there'll be different ones, different ones. Uh, today, I talked to three different people, and every one of them in their list of people said Francis Chan. Okay. I like Francis Chan. Right. I right. he deserves to be listened to, but it was Francis Chan has not cornered the market on, you know, <laughs> uh, worthiness of being listened to. It was just very interesting. There was a very small cross section of people, and you're like, Man, what, it could take some work, but what would it look like if we tried, like you said, to stretch our minds and look for people outside of the ones that everybody's listening to? Well,
1: can I, can I put you on the spot then? I'm yeah. wondering, as the one who's doing the hiring, would you be more inclined to hire somebody who referenced an author that either, A, you're not familiar with, or B, you did some research. You're like, ah, they're theologically a little wonky, but at least this person – is thinking outside the box, like as someone who's doing the hiring on that side of the table, yep. would you be more inclined to hire that person or the person that like lists the three kind of safest
2: names that you could think of? Probably the safest names, yeah, right. I at least know what they're gonna be, right, right. Maybe I'd be fine if I didn't know who the person was and I'd go research. Oh, who are they talking about? Uh, if I thought they was theologically wonky, I'd probably be much more hesitant to hire them. That makes sense. And so. Uh, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. This is just interesting because they, they described ideas like epidemics, right? Like yeah. contagious diseases. Uh, and the fact that, that the source matters this much, I think, in the end, was was probably surprising for me until you give a little bit of thought and then you go, yeah, no. I, yeah, I it totally
1: that. makes sense. I think what's, what's strange about our jobs is I'm sure – you found yourself in this situation where you're listening to somebody, a preacher at a conference or whatever, yep. and they use a story or an illustration that you know is somebody else's. Yes. And they're not citing their story. Like they're just using it and you're like, oh, we are all reading the same guy. <laughs> like <laughs> it's you know, it it is um convicting though, like even looking at my own my own collection, my own reading habits, yes. like without even consciously thinking about it, I I can be I can be pretty myopic in my reading patterns and I have to and maybe, maybe that's the encouragement, like proactively so. consciously decide, even just ask people around you who look and talk and act and think differently than you. Yep. Hey, what's a book that meant a lot to you? I'd like to read that, yes. not just for my own cognitive growth, but that's also, I think a, a really helpful way to help build bridges with our neighbors and the people yes. maybe outside, you know, quote unquote, our tribes. I think that's a really helpful exercise. Yeah. Easier said than done. though. There's,
2: you're right. There's just so many opportunities out there, podcasts, books, blogs, whatever. Yep. But it takes work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it takes work, so I can just go back to the ones I've always listened to. Uh, it's an interesting article. If you want to find it, it's at a website called scientificamerican.com, uh, that some ideas are more contagious than others in science, uh, in politics, but uh, in Christianity as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Paul Batura. He's from Focus on the Family. Uh, that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <music> Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, uh, joined again by Ian Simpkins. You can find old shows of ours online at 1160hope.com, or you can follow us on Facebook and interact with us there at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Well, Ian, each week, every Friday, you and I have a great opportunity to talk to people over at Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is a great partner of ours here at AM 1160. In fact, uh, focus on the family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 11:30 to noon on AM 1160, right here on this station. And this week, we are joined. Our guest today is Paul Batura. He is the vice president of communications for Focus on the Family, and in his role, Paul is responsible for media relations, internal communications, guest relations, and community relations to the ministries. Colorado Springs neighbors. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Paul, recently uh, we've all been following the news out of New York and out of Virginia about the abortion laws. And and Ian and I have talked a lot about it on this show. Um, just uh, it feels a very pol- increasingly polarized in our country. And Focus on the Family is kind of stepping into the middle of that uh, to try to raise up awareness and also ask uh, pro life Americans to do a few things. So right off the bat here, could you talk to us about the three things Focus on the Family is asking all pro life Americans to do?
3: You bet, and uh, I appreciate you uh, raising this issue because it's it's really gotten a lot of people fired up. We've heard from a lot of them, and they're eager for some to do something. Yeah, right. And so the three things we're asking people to do. The first is to sign our what we're calling the Declaration for Life, which is a, a manifesto of sorts. It sort of just lays out uh, the pro-life position and I think, a very passionate, very articulate way. And you can just add your name to the role. Let, mm. let your name be counted and your voice be heard. You can go to focusonthefamily.com forward slash pro-life and then just sign that uh, manifesto, that declaration. And then we're going to deliver that to the White House and we're going to deliver that to the Congress and uh, we're excited. We're getting tens of thousands of people signing up for it, wow. and it's, uh, it's going real well. So that's number one. The second thing, we've had an ongoing campaign that we call Option Ultrasound, and that's uh, a campaign to put ultrasound machines in uh, high uh, abortion risk areas. And the statistics show that when women see a sonogram of their baby, they're more likely to carry that baby to term. Wow. And so uh, you can actually contribute to that program if you want. It's $60. Uh, what we say will statistically will help save one life. So Planned Parenthood charges $600 to abort a baby, and through the Option Ultrasound program, you can save a life for for $60. Wow. And then and then lastly, uh, we're really excited about this. We're planning this big event in New York City. We're calling it Alive from New York, and it's scheduled uh, for Saturday, May 4th. We're going to do a live ultrasound in Times Square. We're going to broadcast it up on the Jumbotron, and uh, it's going to be a a celebration of life, kind of a party atmosphere where we're trying to say, look, look and see. I think a lot of Americans, certainly a lot of people probably in New York, have not seen what a 4D ultrasound looks like. Mm. And and these are the children that New York uh, has said you can uh, terminate right up to the moment of birth. And there they're gonna be in full and living color almost right up on the big screen wow
0: wow
1: Paul uh, Brian mentioned earlier that um, it's pretty obvious that this conversation seems to be getting more and more polarizing and I think a lot of that has to do with, with maybe people not listening to each other well but maybe also not engaging with the stories like beneath every argument obviously there's like real people that are you know affected and living this out and I, I'm really fascinated by this this option ultrasound I'm wondering if there's any Any, like, stories that you can share with us of, like, people's lives being affected or changed by that particular initiative? Because I haven't heard a whole lot of other people uh, doing anything quite like that. I'm curious if you could flesh that out for us a little bit more.
3: Yeah. You know, since the program started uh, 15 years ago, um, we estimate that we've saved 425,000 babies. No kidding. It's an amazing number when you think about it. Yeah. And they're all over the country. Um, the machines that we place, as I said, go into the probably the higher-concentrate abortion areas, and um, they're about $25,000 per machine that mm-hmm. we're, you know, it's all generously contributed to by our friends of the ministry. And um, we do hear from some of these people. In fact, we had a—you a, a, might not remember this. It's been a long time, mm-hmm. five, year, five or so, m- m- almost nine years ago now. Boy, time flies. We did a mm-hmm. Super Bowl commercial. Hmm. And we were you know, celebrating life. It was with Tim Tebow. And and there was a woman who watched that commercial, and she was about to abort her baby that week. And she saw the ad, and she saw Tim Tebow, and it forced her to change her mind. And uh, wow. little LaVita is the baby who's now, believe it or not, approaching her 10th birthday. Wow. wow. And uh, we get stories like that all the time from people who whose lives have been changed and whose mothers and fathers have been touched by the by the image uh, of the ultrasound uh, picture hmm. I, i'm curious about
2: this event you guys are running on may 4th in new york city in some ways going to times square <laughs> is kind of going to the belly of the beast right like it's uh it is where new york is at the center of this and times square is at the center of 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 new york and so i'm wondering what reaction you guys are expecting like what do you think uh what yeah. do you think it's going to be like on that day
3: well, you know, the symbolism is, is not is intentional yes. as, you know, you, you mentioned at the center of, of the world, it's kind of, you know, the crossroads of the world is the uh, phrase you often hear when it comes to Times Square. And yeah. we think we're at a crossroads as a nation when it comes to the issue of life. Uh, we're expecting a big crowd. We've, we're hearing from a lot of people who are excited about it. And at the same time, I think we're probably anticipating opposition. Uh, anytime you, you know, raise up a very, um, uh, controversial topic, you're going to hear from both sides. And what we're trying to communicate is that this is not a confrontational type event. Mm -hmm. This is not even billed as a, you know, anti-abortion event. It's, it's billed as a celebration of life. That's why we're calling it alive from New York. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we just want to say, look, look up and see what do you see when you, Mm -hmm. when you see that image, it's a baby, it's almost fully formed. And these are the children that, Unfortunately, so many people, you know, very callously think should be uh, able to be aborted right up to the moment of birth. Mm. And we're just saying, you know, we're sensing from our folks that they're saying enough is enough, that that there's a there's a strong uh, distaste for this. And so we're just trying to capitalize on the moment and call attention to it and and, and in some ways reach that mushy middle. You know, the people Mm -hmm. who don't think about it much. But are uh, certainly uh, interested and can have their their opinions uh, changed.
1: Awesome. Yeah, Paul, it's I mean cards on the table. I, I have uh, friends, close friends, and family that are on all sides of this uh, discussion, and uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of people uh, have been able to accomplish dialogue f- uh, from the other side. It seems like you know it's uh, understandably really polarizing. It's a it's a heated topic. Can you? Uh, maybe in just a minute or less, give some, some coaching or some hope or some vision for how how do we better have dialogue amidst disagreements, even if it's aggressive disagreements? How, how can we create space um, for better conversation around this really, really important topic?
3: Yeah, you know, personally, I, I find asking questions goes a lot further than making statements. Mm-hmm. So mm, when good. someone tells you they think, uh, you know, a woman should have a right to an abortion, start asking her why, you know, or him, why, Mm. what what is it about that? And um, do you not think that the person in the womb has rights? And, and, you know, I wrote a book years ago called Chosen for Greatness, which is a kind of a a profile book of uh, 16 well-known people who were adopted, people like Steve Jobs, Mm. Nancy Reagan, Gerald Ford. These were all people who easily could have been terminated in utero. Mm. And yet their mothers chose to deliver them and then they were adopted, and they literally, those people literally changed the world. And to me, that's the conversation to have. You talk about the potential of every human life. We've adopted three boys. I'm so grateful Mm, that their mothers chose life. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh,
2: Paul, we're very grateful for what you guys are doing, and we're grateful for the time that you have spent, and we will be uh, on the website. We'll check some of this stuff out and be praying for you guys as your event comes closer. So thank you for joining us today.
3: Oh, thanks, Ian and Brian. I appreciate what you're doing, and it's a partnership. We wouldn't be able to do what we do if you didn't do what you did.
2: Oh, great. We appreciate
3: that. Thank you. Well, this
2: has been Paul Batara. He is the Vice President of Communication for Focus on the Family. And as a reminder, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday here from 1130 to noon on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on I Am 1160, Hope For Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm and joined by Ian Simpkins. Not only are we closing the show, we're closing the week, man. Yes, we made it. I'm, a, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> you just have this wide-eyed look like, I don't know, it's the weekend. All I'm going to do is sleep less, so here we go. <laughs> That's all we're going to do. Uh, if you've been a uh, part of our show at all, you know that we like to end every show with just some uh, craziness we have found on the Internet, just some Uh, interwebs, insanity, just crazy stories. You could send us some if you come across some uh, at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. I'm going to go first and talk to you out of New York, because as as somebody who has kids who are in elementary school, I am... All for this one. Oh, gosh. Gym teacher fired for playing Fortnite with his students.
1: Why, Why are you so fired it up says, about this? Game
2: over. The Brooklyn gym teacher with a case of Fortnite fever recruited teammates for the wildly popular game in his own classroom until the Department of Education found out and fired him. Uh, here's why because Fortnite is the bane of our existence. <laughs> so, I've never played it, seen it.
1: I've I barely am familiar. I with am
2: it. I am so the thing I maybe the thing I love most about my son is that he doesn't play Fortnite. But I know enough of the elementary school particularly boys who are obsessed with this game, obsessed with it. And I was coaching baseball. I coached my son's baseball team. So yeah. if you know Fortnite like that dance the floss comes yeah. from Fortnite and some other dances and uh I had to institute a rule on my baseball team during practice that if I saw anyone dancing uh, from Fortnite, or if they used the word Fortnite, they had to run. Oh, my word. Because at the first practice, I looked into the outfield, and the three outfielders were all doing the floss separately. They weren't looking at each other. (laughs) They were all doing it. And at that moment, I said, anyone who says the word Fortnite on this baseball team has to run. I
1: didn't realize that was such a trigger for you. It is. And my son doesn't even play. Oh, man. I'm like the old guy. Like, all oh,
2: you kids just want to play Fortnite. Say,
1: I can't promise I won't use so, this information against you in the future.
2: Fire all the teachers who are into
1: Fortnite. I'm oh, good with you. So. All right. Here's another one out of New York. Uh, retiring baby boomers not passing on key details of the job. This one's kind of fascinating, maybe even for another future conversation. It says every year, uh, 4 million people retire from their jobs. Many are baby boomers leaving their job without passing on key details of the work. A lot of them have had 30, 40 years experience on the job, and there's a survey it said uh, 1,500 baby boomers were asked if they shared their knowledge of the job with their employees before they retired, and more than 20% said they did not.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not
1: quite sure what the motivation is there. But, uh, spite?
2: I think the motivation is spite. You think so? Spite. It is, uh, yes. That Maybe is...
1: spite coupled with apathy. Like, I don't, I'm done here. I don't I don't, I don't care. know
2: feels like an act of kindness to be like hey i want you to succeed at this job. That's true. That's right. a good
1: point, Pastor Brian.
2: Thank you. Maryland from Maryland. This is a nice one. Heartwarmer. This allows me to do a death one later or something. Oh gosh,
1: thanks for the foreshadowing.
2: Unexpected surprise. Children's book returned to library 73 years <laughs> later. The staff at Silver Spring Library received a surprising package in the mail recently, an overdue book from 73 years ago. According to the library, the sender explained that her parents had borrowed the postman when she was a toddler back in 1946. (laughs) The family then suddenly had to move on short notice, and the book was packed up with the rest of the belongings. The library said they're happy to have the book back and joked that it's a good thing they no longer charge late fines for children's material.
1: The fine would still be, what, like 36 cents? Like (laughs) like the library has not changed their fine policy in a thousand years. I think it's remarkable. All right. Here's one from uh, your beloved New Jersey. Oh yes. This man releases monster rat in New Jersey's McDonald's, sparking total chaos. <laughs> 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 Which I can I can understand. I can see why that would. In fact, it reminded me of a story. A buddy of mine. Uh, they released uh, three greased up pigs oh, in nice. the uh, the girls' dorm of his school. And part of like the brilliance of this is they so they greased them up and they numbered them one, two, and four. So they're chasing these pigs, and they were convinced that there was a number three. A
0: number three <laughs> still that
1: roaming around. That wasn't even there. <laughs> that
2: is brilliant. <laughs> That's funny. when I was in college, there was a you know, I went to Wheaton and people would do chapel pranks. right. And one year they released two pigs into chapel. They did in uh, chapel in during chapel, chapel? yes, oh, that's all of a sudden you heard like this commotion behind you, and then just <laughs> shoop, shoop. someday we should just do a whole segment on chapel pranks, but there was another one where uh, the most legendary one of the most legendary year before I got to Wheaton, one of the most legendary chapel pranks was all of a sudden they got into the ductwork above chapel, no kidding, and while the person speaking uh they somebody i don't think they were ever caught released like five or six mice with parachutes. with parachutes. <laughs> from the roof one of them one of them didn't open uh rest in peace to that one another one caught on the wire going from the balcony to the stage and the entire time the rest landed and ran away but the entire time the person was speaking there was this little mouse caught up on the up on the uh, on the wire. Just, oh my! I'm ashamed that how tickled I am by that story. It is the legendary Wheaton Chapel prank that, wow. I, to at least when I was there, had never been topped. Let's go to Ireland, sure. where a man and a horse are escorted out of a supermarket. Well, of course they are. Why not? A surprise shopper at an Irish grocery store captured video of a man and his horse being escorted out by the staff. Uh, she spotted a man leading a horse by the reins around the supermarket. The video shows the man and his unusual pet being escorted out of the store. Here's the kicker. It's unclear why the man brought the horse into the store. <laughs> what, was the, what was the main point of that story?
1: Stop. Yay or nay? Was that a good idea? <laughs> Probably had a long I, face. <laughs> you're sure, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to let I can't, go, no. go. Don't let me go. That's so go. unwise.
3: Go Okay, here's,
1: here's one from Florida. I feel like it, it, it wouldn't be Internet Web Insanity without one from Florida. It says, active kindness backfires when man pretending to panhandle for change carjacks victim. <laughs> uh, Hillsborough County deputies arrested a convicted criminal Tuesday for stealing a woman's car oh. after pretending to panhandle for change. So he was asking for, you know, just 50 cents or whatever outside of a dollar general. And the woman reached into her purse to give him some money. Like, this woman had compassion on this guy, was reaching out to help him, and while she was looking in her purse, he stole her car. Like,
2: doesn't that just, like, at some, like, systemic
1: human level make you sad? Like, oh, there goes all
2: my hope in humanity. It does, but can I just ask a question that's probably going to anger you? If you got a panhandle, why are you standing outside the Dollar General? I don't understand. Everything's a dollar. Everything's cheap. No one's going in there with any money. But if you have zero money, (laughs) it doesn't matter what store you're in front of. (laughs) I'm a bad person. Speaking of being a bad person, oh boy, here we go. Arizona man dies after authorities say he asked another man to shoot his bulletproof vest.
1: Ah, that's a sad story. I'm Brian. just going to
2: stop right there. Ah oh, man, the lesson is stop having people shoot at you, no matter what you're wearing.
1: That's a really timely lesson. I'm sure a lot of people really, really need to hear that today. Um, this one's this one's kind of dark too. It's out of Georgia. Uh, sun sets mother's home ablaze allegedly over Cheez-Its. A man had to rescue his mother from the second floor during a fire at DeKalb County home that allegedly began over a box of Cheez-Its, which, depending on which flavor of Cheez-Its, maybe that's a little understandable. I, I'm i I'm pro-Cheez-It. <laughs> pro. We're getting into all the controversial topics on this show. As is not pro, su-
2: pro or against <laughs> Cheez-It, Brian. As is not surprising, alcohol was also involved in that story. Yeah, that makes sense. Last one. Let's end happy. North Carolina nonprofit rescues baby calf from family's bathroom.
1: oh
2: uh, family. They were keeping it as a relative, but then a relative of the family says uh, pleaded for help, and this, they came and they rescued it. And the calf is doing well. Well, that's a feel good. That's a feel good go. Let's end with that one. Nice. See, we'll end with that one. Well, thank you for joining the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.